0: Hi, I'm Norma Kamali, and you're listening to the Norma Life Podcast, where we will be having in-depth conversations about healthy lifestyle, the three pillars, sleep, diet, exercise, and wellness, as well as aging with power, new technology, and of course, fashion and beauty, and so much more. Don't forget to subscribe, comment, and if you like, Give us a five star review. Visit me at normacamale.com and normalife.com and be sure to check back regularly for all the latest. Thank you and please enjoy the podcast. RuPaul is the greatest. I'm a big fan and always have been, and I'm so happy to present him to you in this podcast. RuPaul Andre Charles is an American actor, model, singer, songwriter, television personality, and author. Since 2009, he has executive produced and hosted the reality competition series, RuPaul's Drag Race, for which he received five primetime Emmy Awards. RuPaul's Drag Race has produced 12 seasons to date and has inspired several spinoff series. RuPaul is the most commercially successful drag queen of all time. And in 2017, he was included in the annual Time 100 list of the most influential people in the world. RuPaul achieved international fame with the release of the single, supermodel you better work which was included on his debut album supermodel of the world 1993 he has co-written and co-produced 15 studio albums to date In 1995, he became the first spokesperson for MAC Cosmetics, raising millions of dollars for the MAC AIDS Fund, becoming the first man to land a major cosmetics campaign. In 1996, RuPaul landed a TV show on VH1, The RuPaul Show, taping over 100 episodes with co-host Michelle Visage, while simultaneously co-hosting a morning drive show on WKTU, also with Visage. Currently, RuPaul hosts a weekly podcast called RuPaul What's the Tea with Michelle Visage. As an actor, RuPaul has appeared in over 50 films and television shows, both in and out of drag. As an author, RuPaul has published three books, Guru, 2018, Working It, RuPaul's Guide to Life, Liberty, and the Pursuit of Style, 2010, and Letting It All Hang Out, 1995. RuPaul splits his time between New York, California, and Wyoming. He's married to an Australian rancher, George Labar, who he met on the dance floor in 1994 at Limelight Disco in New York City. It is my pleasure to present the fabulous RuPaul. Where did you grow up?
1: I'm from San Diego.
0: And where's home base? I know you travel a lot, but where's home base? Well, home
1: base is, is L.A., but I've lived in the same apartment here in New York for 25 years.
0: You're kidding. Where yeah. is that? Down, it's in the down? West
1: Village. Uh, oh,
0: I'm in the West Village, too.
1: Yeah, yeah. I've,
0: I've been there a long time, too.
1: Well, when I got that um, MAC contract 25 years ago, oh my god! the first thing I did was I bought this apartment. Good move. And uh, I've been there for 25 years, but mostly mostly in L.A. because of work.
0: Yeah. So to me, you know, I've been thinking all weekend. I have so many questions, but I keep going back to how much a pioneer you are and how, for me, out of all of the 10,000 zillion things you have done and will continue to do, that being a pioneer is a whole other level. Like, you go out there and take a chance, and there is some motivation to do that that most people, the population, doesn't do. And so what, like, what in your childhood or in your life experience caused this sort of, I have to do this? Yeah,
1: that's a great question. You know, it goes back to what we were saying earlier, which is being present and being aware of what's happening and understanding how to navigate life in this human body. You know, what motivated me was that I wanted to do something with this gift of this life and I wanted to, I still want to, um, I want to have fun. I want to have fun. You know, I'm jet lag. I caught the E train to come up here today (laughs) and, you know, being hyper aware of what, Mm. Human nature and things. There's a part of me that's like, oh, good lord, mm. it's so, it's mm. so dreary right now in in human in the mm-hmm. human experience. And all I wanted to do is walking up Fifth Avenue. All I wanted to do was just dance. So this same as Jeffrey Osborne on the way up here and back in love again came on when he was mm-hmm. in the group right, LTD. Right, right. And I just, I just want on yep. Fifth Avenue. I just want to start yep. dancing. Because that would connect me to the source. It would connect right. me to the spirit, my, my own spirit. So what motivates me is, uh, throughout my life, it's been, I want to have fun. Mm-hmm. I want to enjoy this life, and I want to, I don't want to be bored. Yeah. I don't want to be bored.
0: See, I, I totally agree. I, For me, if I can laugh, and funny people to me are just... There's a brilliance there that I appreciate. Funny people who can make the horrible acceptable to deal with, to talk about because humor. Dave Chappelle obviously is the first name that comes to mind. And then to dance and sing, whether I can sing or not, I don't give a crap. I just feel that that's such a great release for human beings. And the other thing is, let me take your hand. When was the last time somebody held your hand, looked in your eyes that you weren't involved with or had some, your mom, dad kind of thing? People don't do this anymore. They do you remember when we used to do this, like yeah. we would touch each other and yeah. do this? This is almost more intimate than sex Yeah. because I'm looking in your eye and I'm taking your hand. We are. We're not kind anymore. That's right. We don't touch. We don't interact physically and i'm not saying anything more than that and i think that's why it got so precious between men and women and what can you do what can't you do yeah there's something so off and it's so contrary to everything that you're about Mm -hmm. and what you've presented that we've gone way off in a very dark area of life
1: we have we have and it is sad and for sweet sensitive souls, it's the first thing that comes to mind when we walk out on the street mm-hmm. down Fifth Avenue. And you know, taking someone by the yep. hand and looking them in the yeah, eye.
0: It's so it's so great. It it's is so great. nice. And to feel somebody's hand, there's an energy in the person's hand or somebody's not feeling well or Yes. You just lost your job and how what tell me what's going on. It's a
1: touchstone. It's it's a way for another human being to say, Oh, I recognize your god self. Mm -hmm. I recognize your god self and I have compassion for your god self. Mm -hmm. You know? And that is what is missing. So, you know, what do we do? What do we do with that information? How do we reconnect? Well, the first thing that comes to mind is that they are my teacher. I am not their teacher. So what everyone is teaching me is what not to do and what to remember yeah. about my own experience. But, you know, that's, that's a tough, that's a tall order for us, you know, sweet, sensitive souls who are um, living in this world every day. It's a tall order because we have to carry so much mm. of that and you're faced with, you're faced with unconsciousness at every turn. You think, well, what do I do? Well, okay, you go and meditate, mm. and you can stretch. This is what I do in the morning. I stretch, then I pray, since I'm already down there. <laughs> and then. And I-
0: when you pray, are you thinking about an intention for the day, or how do you approach prayer? Because you know what? People don't talk about prayer anymore. It's something that's almost. That are left unsaid. Mm-hmm. And I also find prayer very important, even if it's a conversation with whatever, whoever, mm-hmm. however you want to communicate. So, what are you thinking about when you pray?
1: Well, I'm very conscious of what prayer is and what it does. What prayer does is it connects me to the source, but it also diffuses my ego. It's a way for me to acknowledge that, yes, I have an ego, and that right now, ego, shut the F up. Mm -hmm. I'm going to go to the source. I'm going to go to the source that makes the rainfall, that makes the waves crash into the shore, and that makes the seasons change and everything happen. And that act alone is all that is needed to diffuse the ego and have sanctuary Mm -hmm. in that moment. And also, it allows me to express my gratitude for this incredible gift of having this human body and this spirit and this soul, and just that alone, and I learned this a long time ago, um, just by saying, dear God, thank you. Mm -hmm. Four words.
0: It's humility. It's humility. So what's your purpose in this lifetime? I mean, most people just live, and life sort of takes them along, but I really think Having a purpose keeps us sort of on a track, and clearly you're aware of your purpose. So what would that be?
1: My purpose is to create. I um, First of all, it's, it's actually even more simple than that. I want to experience life. I want to experience it. And it, throughout my experiences, I realized that um, I'm creative. I love being creative. I love solving a problem and mm-hmm. saying, what if we put shoulder pads on it? What if we ruch around the, you know, here? Let's ruch the arms. Mm-hmm. you know." That excites me, and I love laughing and dancing and colors and love and beauty and beautiful smells. I love all of those things that tickle my senses, and I love being at a, a creative table with a bunch of people who I can volley with, mm. and, say, and there's no bad, there's no, no bad, bad ideas. ideas. It's yeah. Just, yeah. Yeah. And then what I'm doing is channeling the source yeah. and allowing it to come through. It's like. Mm-hmm. Which is, again, like dancing to Jeffrey Osborne on Fifth Avenue. You are summoning (laughs) summoning the spirit. And it's like,
0: wow,
1: it takes you there. And I love it. It it does. That's my purpose. It's very simple. You know, it's very simple.
0: So what, what do you think is coming next that? not just specifically for you, I'm sure you have a list of projects you're working on and things that you'll be doing. And if you haven't thought of them up here on your way out, you'll think of it. <laughs> There's no question. But but I, I mean, just in the bigger picture of what's going on in the world, like, where do you see your place in where we're going everything you've done has already transformed the way people think i mean you have you've done that you more than anybody else has transformed what gender is and how it can be viewed and how it could be understood you've transformed just the life spirit that exists for everyone and made it understandable for everyone. And I'm really so in awe of how powerful that is and where we are today where I can be doing gender fluid clothes and nobody I'm not like banging down doors pay attention this has to be done. You already did that. You opened all these doors. So now what do you see as where we we'll need to go because we sort of can intuit where we are as a country and a world and what the needs are. But what do you see next as your kind of your mission?
1: Yeah. First of all, thank you for saying those things. You know, it's hard for me to take responsibility for that because uh, my part in all of that is allowing myself to be used by the source to let this go through me and to allow myself. And my part in it is staying interested in life enough to want to get out of bed in the morning. Because for us sweet, right. sensitive souls, we have to fight the impulse to say, F it. Yeah. F yeah. it all. You guys are stupid and I don't want to play anymore. <laughs> right. you know? so, so, but I fought through that impulse enough to let the source use mm-hmm. me to do this work. So um, I can't take full responsibility except for my part in getting up getting out of bed and leaving the apartment in the morning. But, you know, a part of me, actually a big part of me, uh, says that based on the history of humans on this planet and based on the game of chess, you know, if you move this here, the repercussion is this over here, right? Where we are today, and don't shoot the messenger, it feels like everything has to be, to collapse for it to be reborn again. We know that this system that we live in is a a system of death and rebirth Mm -hmm. death and rebirth Mm -hmm. and it feels that where we're headed now we're on a collision course to just disaster because we know that unconsciousness leads to nowhere it leads nowhere and you can't see where you're going if you are unconscious when you're walking down the street right so what it feels like is that's where we're going i feel like my purpose in this and, and what's next for me and I've been trying to bite my tongue with trying to set, tell the world, Soylent Green is people. Soylent Green is people. It's a <laughs> reference you may not know, but you'll look it up and you'll get it. But also what history has told me and taught me about people who say Soylent Green is people is that humans usually go, oh, it's Soylent Green is people? Um, thanks for telling. Can I have another order of Soylent <laughs> Green, please? You know what I mean? And so you think, well, what about people like Jane Fonda and Martin Luther King and the people who have tried to tell everyone, you know, uh, what's ahead? Don't go that way. Stay away from that Mm -hmm. direction. You know, when people are going that. History has taught us that, um, you know, people don't listen Mm -hmm. and they, they go that way anyway. And so I've had to realize I'm not their teacher. They are my teacher. So Try to, you avoid going that way. Allow people to make their mistakes and go that way. But knowing what you know, Rue, try to circumvent going down that path. And in the midst of this destruction, still make a life for yourself. Still find that happiness. Still find sanctuary and a place where you can experience this life. And that's it. You know, I cannot save mankind from themselves. And there's no combination of words I can say that will make them go, oh, oh I get it. Soylent Green is people. Mm-hmm. We can't be eating people. We've mm-hmm. got to find something that is more sustainable mm-hmm. than eating each other.
0: Right. So, so you, but, but I want to challenge you, though, to say you're an important influence. And for you not to have a voice right now I think is not a good thing. I think you have tremendous influence and hearing your thoughts and hearing your point of view about what's going on and how we're sort of all, it's almost like we're hypnotized. We are. And that...
1: It's a thought virus. It's a thought virus that is... That is
0: so brilliant. That is really perfect. That really is. But I do, I really do think it's sort of a responsibility you have if you have a voice and there are enough people who really respect what you say because you've proven over and over that when you say something or you influence, there's meaning and there's something behind it that Mm -hmm. people should pay attention to. So, I do think that this is something you need to talk about and, and manifest into some sort of behavior that is safe for people and mm-hmm. healthy for them.
1: Yeah. I think the ones who can get it will get it. And I'm going to just go back to the thought virus thing. What, what's happened is we have allowed egoic thinking to dominate our lives where we don't have that balance. The ego is important to, us, to a certain degree. Mm-hmm. It is important, But it's off balance where everyone is concerned with, me 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 what about me 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 which is Mm -hmm. fine but you have to balance that with us 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 we are we are one Mm. thing we're not separate from one another the ego will have you believe that it's you against the world and it's only you and we've and we can tell by the people we've elected in political office that they represent that egoic way Mm -hmm. of thinking it is a thought virus so when you are up Against the ego you have no defense. It's like it's like the chief of police Looking for an arsonist when the arsonist is the, the chief, chief of police, of police.
0: <laughs> gonna go
1: there, Yeah, and so yeah. there's there's no it's way true. around that yeah. unless there's an awakening because uh, the ego is of the brain yeah. And the next level of consciousness is not here. It's it's outside of the brain so how do you connect with that other level of consciousness when the ego is standing guard yeah. you think oh okay I'll let you figure it out for mm. yourself but in how I conduct my life and how what I do with art and projects people who are conscious will get the message mm-hmm. through that but the people who are whose ego is standing guard you don't want to fool with them because they will the ego will go to all lengths to destroy you because mm-hmm. the ego has to survive. Protects itself, it has yeah. to protect
0: itself. And and in that protection all kinds of corruption all and of corruption. and really bad stuff happen. And I, I I think being unconscious is the safe place right now for everyone. You know, just scrolling yes. through Instagram. Yeah. Okay, I'm not having to be responsible That's for right. what's happening. I can just oh look there's makeup, there's, right. oh, that dress is pretty, yeah. or, oh, what? Oh, yeah, and then you just start, like, and that person's having fun, and that one, I'm in a bad mood, and I'm not having fun. I feel like crap. You know, it's like our, we judge ourselves, we do everything through these weird boxes of what should be, of status yeah. quo. It's yeah. a, It's a very interesting time, but I do think... There were people, you mentioned Martin Luther King and I, you know, because I am that much older than you are, I used to watch these great people on the three channels we had on TV and I remember Martin Luther King and I remember JFK and I remember Gandhi. All of these people had a voice in my, in our time. Mm -hmm. That was what the atmosphere was and we were landing on the moon and Mm -hmm. And there was such a spirit of positive, we can make a change, we can do this together. And, you know, Martin Luther King, I, I just put up a piece of art in my apartment with a big statement by Martin Luther King, and I just thought, how can I, I have to preserve these beautiful words, and that influence just doesn't exist anymore. Right. So the influence is maybe social media or whatever it is. But I think that in the most unlikely places, we need to find a way to communicate and to create these other choices for people. Mm -hmm. So when you're working and being creative, is there a way... Do you think, and this is a question I, that I can't even imagine an answer to, but is there a way that you can engage people to participate in positive energy? I mean, are there things that you think about or that you do now? or, or Because I'm thinking about that all the time. Yeah. What are some of the thoughts well, you have about well, that?
1: Well, you know, because we were given free will... You cannot inspire someone to enrich their lives unless they want to, unless they give you permission. You know, years ago, someone told me, some girl in school told me that, you know, Rue, you always have angels around you, but they cannot intervene unless you say, please help me. And Mm. uh, because we have free will. Right. And that the angels, your angels can't. So the same is true with uh, just consciousness. You know, people choose to be unconscious. And you talked about, you know, being on the phones. And I always get a vision of that scene in The Matrix where there's pods of people living in these pods and they're dreaming of this life. And, you know, what we have is the Instagram is that life. That, and they're always connected to it because if they put it down and got into this moment, they'd realize how much pain they, they yeah. are in. Yeah. You know, the Eckhart Tolle thing, he says, um, he says, you know, if you allowed yourself to be present, for five minutes, the first thing you would recognize is how much pain you're in. And people don't want to be in pain. So you can't, and unfortunately, the way we've created this world is that it's until we, hit, we are in so much pain that we are willing to look at another choice. choice. Yeah. You know, it's like, don't go near that stove, it's hot. It's like, what? <laughs> Ah, I'm not going near that stove again. Right, now, right. Intellectually, I could have listened to my mother and said, oh, you're smarter, mm-hmm. you've been around. Yeah, okay, got it. I'm not going to go. No, I mm-hmm. had to go and yeah. touch it. Yeah. And that is the system we've set up. So when you think about Martin Luther King or Jane Fonda or Gandhi, you think about, well, what is their motivation for you know, wanting to help the world? Well, the motivation could be, well, I want to live in a world where we can elevate ourselves as humans. The biggest disappointment I had from the election uh, a few years ago was that the realization that we as humans weren't further along in our evolution we're still right. st- we're, yeah. not- we're still we're here That's right yeah you know? so when I think about you know uh, trying to inspire people to their higher self I have to a ask myself what's your motivation well, I want to have friends. I want to have people to dance with. <laughs> come on, guys, elevate, because right. I want to party with right. my friends. <laughs> you know, when I got famous years ago, um, I wanted to bring my friends from the East Village with me. And, you know, come, you're smart. Come to the writer's room. There's a seat for you at the right, writer's room. Right. All you got to do is take my hand. They couldn't do it. Most of them could not do it because their identity was tied into being a starving, struggling artist in the East Village talking about the man, the oh, man won't let so me. so smart. You know That's what I mean? So true. So I learned from, the, and actually in San Diego, yeah. as a kid, I used to, we lived in this, in this area that was nowhere near prime real estate, the beach coast. <laughs> but I would take the bus, 11 years old, catch the bus out to the beach and just spend the day out there, 12, 11 years old. I'd come back to my neighborhood and all the kids in my neighborhood would be standing around like, hmm, so uh, you, hmm, think you, think you think you're white or something? Are. Yeah. Yeah, you think you're better than us, right? And I'd be like, uh, no, actually, the beach is great. We live in Sandy Echo, great. <laughs> but I learned early on that people feel threatened by your freedom, by your beauty. Glinda the Goodwitch says mm-hmm. that to Dorothy. She says, Dorothy, what's he following me? She says she's actually really jealous and envious of your, your lust for life, right. your beauty. You know, right. she doesn't have that. So. What I say to young people all the time is that our secret weapon against the darkness is our love, our beauty, our joy, our love of the beach, our innate need to gravitate towards sparkly, shiny things, Mm -hmm. things that are exciting. And that's what those people have lost. Mm -hmm. That's what they have lost. So I don't know, you know, I'm going to continue to do what I do with, to make myself happy and enjoy. And hopefully that will inspire people, but I don't know how to do it. You know, in the movie, The Ten Commandments, everybody has, I think they've already crossed the Red Sea, they've landed on the other side, and Moses says, guys, listen, I'm gonna go up this hill for a minute. I have a feeling there's a burning bush up there, (laughs) but while I'm gone, while I'm gone, you guys just chill, I'll be back in a minute. And whatever you do, don't, don't fire up that urn and make any graven images. <laughs> well, he goes up there and there's like, well, yeah. he's been gone for about two minutes. But you know what? Let's fire up that urn and just go back to what we were doing before. And, and you know, of course, um, humans just, they revert back to the fear that they're used to. When a, an abused child is taken from an abusive home, That child cries and cries and cries because it wants to go back to what it's familiar with. So what that has taught me is, room, focus on making yourself happy. They are your teacher. You are not their teacher. Mm -hmm. Live your life, and maybe some will be attracted to what you're doing and will go, "Um, I want what he has.
0: Right. What's the most provocative thing you've ever done?
1: Uh, The most provocative thing I've ever done is is continue to get out of bed in the morning. (laughs) It really is. It's the decision to live. It's the decision to follow my heart every day and to do that with true conviction. Because, as you know, with most people, they will buy into plan A or plan B. And neither of those plans fit the human Mm -hmm. experience you know, get married, have a child, have 2.2 children and, you know, follow this plan. And people don't understand why they're so unhappy or why they're so overweight or why they're alcoholics or why they're gambling because they are in so much pain. Uh, George and I, my husband George, we were talking this morning. I was in Pennsylvania at QVC, doing QVC, watching the hearings, the impeachment hearings. And he was at the gym and he said he saw a man in the background who was sitting who had It was was actually, I broke my heart. He was so obese. He had Mm -hmm. a bunch of flesh around his head like this. And this morning at breakfast, we were saying, you saw that? I saw that. All I could think of was how much pain this man was in Mm -hmm. uh, to put a wall of flesh around him to protect his heart. Mm -hmm. It's like the elephant in the room. I don't know where I'm going with this, but my point is we as humans on this planet are in so much pain. And we've created an identity around that pain, East Village friend. Just take my hand. Just take my hand. Mm -hmm. There's a place for you. We've created an identity around that. And it's not in my power to break that spell. The best I can do is be an example of what it's like to live beyond that pain.
0: And was there anybody influential in your childhood that sort of, Gave you the ability to look another way in a different way than other people do? Yeah, I mean, um, Jesus, Krishna, uh, uh, Buddha, uh, they're
1: all there. Uh, Jane Fonda, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, Gandhi, Martin Luther King. The hero of a thousand faces, Superman, it's all there. Right, right. Um, um, drag for me is the Superman to Mike Clark Kent.
0: If you're paying attention... I love that. Whoa, wait a minute. That is so great. That is so great.
1: Drag, for me, is the Superman to that my Clark is so can. perfect.
0: And you know, everybody does drag. Everybody does Everybody. Drag. Yeah. Yeah, whether that they know it or not. That is such a great line. Wow.
1: So if you are present, and I was always able to see that the emperor was not wearing any clothes, uh, it's pretty obvious... How to navigate this thing It's I understood that um, this life is a construct and that I am the architect and that I can build the life I want. Now, it's not going to be easy, but even if I choose plan A or plan B, that's not easy either. Yeah, It is not easy. None of it is easy. Yeah, yeah. So if I had a choice, I'd rather choose my own plan and stick to it. And yes, my heart will be broken because the world will go... What? Mm. what, oh, you think you're better than us? Right. What kind of plan is that? Right. I'm always going to be faced with that. Yeah.
0: The minute I... it's, excuse me, the minute you're doing something different, the minute you go on a different path, because of fear, people don't want you to succeed. That's they right. want to trip you up. They want to give you a hard time. And the beauty of going ahead with the plan and not getting tripped up is you become Superman. You yeah. become... The superpower, I know I can do that, even though you're not ready for it. I know you can do that. It's a great empowerment to be able to know that if you have a dream, you can actually get it, and then it inspires another dream. Yeah. I think that that's what you've done. I, love, I, I I love that line again, the Clark Kent, the Superman, that, It's so perfect because it relates to everybody. It really, really does. It's almost like um, you should do a children's book on that so that little kids can understand the depth of that and that the simplicity of the symbolism too. Yeah. It's really so profound. I, I love it. When you were six years old, and I remember when I was six, um, somebody asked me or talked to me about having kids and being a mom, and and I was like, mm-mm, nope, <laughs> not me, not me. And I remember it, it really started to get people upset, so I nuanced. I was like, maybe, maybe someday. And then it was like as I yeah, thinking about it, not really. Mm-hmm. And I sort of said what people wanted to hear, even though I was like, "Not mm-hmm. happening here." And I knew then. I mean, and I don't know why, but I knew then that that wasn't going to be for me. And that, and I knew that there would be a lot of explanations along the way. Mm-hmm. And even when I was fifty, I was saying, "I don't know. I could adopt." And was like I'm still okay. I could adopt. So when you were six, did anybody talk to you about when you grow up and da 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 da, are you going to be a scientist? or right. like what, did you ever have that you knew like I know?: Yeah, I know, right now, six years old, I'm telling you, yeah. Well, for girls,
1: you know, it's it's difficult because that is expected of girls, and that and, and people people don't know how to communicate. So the first thing that they want to say is, "Oh, so are you going to have kids?" You know, because mm-hmm. they can't imagine a girl doing anything but being right. someone's and, mother. Yeah, you
0: know. no, and absolutely want like that's that's the choice. That's the this is a great thing, yeah. but I think I, I think all kids have some sort of obligation to talk about their future or right. what, it, what it is they're going to be. And, yeah. But I do believe that at six and seven, you know. Yeah. I mean, you know. That's I knew. Clearly, right? I knew.
1: Yeah, yeah. You know, my mother, <clears throat> when she was pregnant with me, uh, saw a psychic, and the psychic said, well, Tony, you're going to have a boy, and that boy is going to be famous. So I grew up knowing that I was gonna be famous. Right. So I didn't know how, I didn't know where. <laughs> but uh, you
0: had to like figure out, a way to, figure to out a way to do it. I had figure out a way to do it.
1: And so uh, so I knew early on, and I all the clues were there. I love colors and art and music and I love all of the artistic things. And so uh, I went about figuring out how to do that. But seven, you know, seven was a very interesting time because um, you know, life goes in sevens, 14, mm-hmm, 21, mm-hmm. 20. Eight, mm-hmm. which was a big, big one. A big That's always one. a
0: big birthday. Yeah, 28 Saturn to Returns. Yeah. Saturn Returns, <laughs> that'll get you. It'll get you. <laughs>
1: so um, uh, 7 was a big one because mm-hmm. my parents finally got their divorce. They and were at here, war. here too. That yeah. was
0: the... <laughs> it was crazy.
1: Yeah. But I knew that I needed to figure out a way to do my thing and, and get famous and to make music and be creative. You know. Yeah. And I, knew that, I also knew that it wasn't going to be uh, easy for me because again, Emperor's not wearing any clothes, and that I had to find my tribe. Thankfully, a few years later, probably 71 or 72, on PBS they were showing the Monty Python Flying Circus. And I yeah. thought, oh, there they are. That is my, <laughs> my tribe, people. Oh my, my people. <laughs> they exist. So, that's what, so then I set out to go and find I love my it. tribe. Because you can't, you can't right. do it alone. You, you can try, and there's a lot of alone time, but you have to find your yeah, tribe. And, yeah. you know, most of the kids in the East Village who I came up with, they couldn't make that transition above 14th Street, but a few did, and I am still working with them today.
0: That's so great.
1: Randy and Fenton from World of Wonder, I, I knew from the Pyramid Club, and uh, I still work with them today.
0: So what year did you come to New York? I came
1: the first time in 84, and I was here for uh, half a year, couch surfing, sleeping on the pier, sleeping in Central Park <laughs> during the day, and, uh, <laughs> uh, and then winter struck, and I went back to Atlanta. After San Diego, I moved to Atlanta, Georgia in 76 with my sister and went to high school and all that stuff, and then started my career in Atlanta and then moved up here okay. in 84, Then the city, New York, spit me back out. I went back to Atlanta, made some money, and then I came back here in 87. In 87. But I I worked up here Mm -hmm. in between that, doing clubs and working at Danceteria and doing my show at Pyramid and all that stuff.
0: So what was the first job you had that you said, this is is me, this this is a fit, this is something that's got meat to it?
1: Well, in Atlanta, Georgia, there was a television show called The American Music Show. And it was a public access television show. And um, public access, you guys look that up. You'll figure it out. (laughs) It allowed public to have television on cable systems that were, you know. So I wrote into that show because I realized they were my tribe. I wrote in and sent my phone number. And they called me. Dick Richards called me. And he said, "Um, come on and be on our show. Really? So I put together a dance routine to Junior Walker and uh, All Stars Shotgun.
0: Oh, my God. (laughs) I wonder how many people know that song. I can probably (laughs) sing it and dance to it. (laughs) So
1: I did that. That
0: is so great. And
1: from then on, uh, I knew, okay, I, I found my spot.
0: Wow. That, so how many people would do that, though? How many people just say, I'm going to give it a chance? I mean, that was, that's very brave, right? It, it, it is brave. But, you know, whatever the
1: percentage of people who would do that is far greater than the ones who would keep doing it for 37 years. You know, because uh, there have been so many times when I thought, OK, you know, um, I think that's a wrap. That is a wrap. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's one thing to say, yeah, I'm going to go and, and do this. It's another to stick with it and to go inside. Because actually in 99, 1999, I stepped away from the canvas. I worked, but I wasn't ambitious about it. My focus was on my nieces and nephews and getting back to my own humanity. Really? Yeah.
0: Really. And
1: for about four years, I was, I was mostly in L.A., I would have um, barbecues and charade parties oh my and play God. games and backyard parties. And I got back to... Really? To it, was weird. it was a weird time because my intuition said, you know, it's, it's very hostile out there. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to step, step away. Step away. And then I came back. In 2004, I came back to the business full on. But I wouldn't be here today. Had I not
0: taken that break, yeah. So what was your um, Saturn return at 28? Saturn
1: returns, I had moved back to New York and then couldn't get anything, couldn't get any traction in New York like I had in 84. And then after a series of weird, horrible, humiliating events, I wound up in L.A. and I was sleeping on my younger sister's couch, sleeping on my baby sister's couch, not a dime to my name literally. Mm-hmm. No car. She would go to work and I would sleep during the day. And then before she came home, I would leave her apartment and walk around Los Angeles. <laughs> and in the uh. late hours and like come back to her house at like three o'clock in the morning. Oh my god. Walking around. It was it was pretty oh my god. It was pretty awful. It was like it was like my forty days and forty nights.
0: And then, what snapped you out of that?
1: Well, um, this is—I get emotional here because mm. I—it was—I—I I, I turned uh, 28 in November of 1988, and um, it was the holiday, so I went down to my mother's in San Diego to spend time with her, and uh, just just not think about what I needed to do. And then by January. One of my tribe members, one of my tribe members, Larry T, who I knew from Atlanta, who I moved up here to New York with, he called me and said, "Rue, what are you doing? Get your tookas back here to New York. I'm going to pay for your pla- mm. Mm. I'm going to pay for your plane ticket, and you're going to get back up on that go-go box, and you're going to make that <laughs> money back." And you're going to pay me, and you're going to get back to what you were. You're here to do. Right. It was. It was like in, when in the Wizard of Oz, when Dorothy lays down in the poppy field, and uh, I think the, the Tin Man says, "Wake up, because he's he's not affected by the right. poppies, heroin." Right. Right. Wake up. Wake up. Come on. We're going to Oz. Come yeah. on. Wake up. Larry T calls me up and says, "Get back here," and. I had a moment of clarity, and I got back to New York. Wow. And I got back to New York, and I said, you know what? I'm not playing around anymore. I'm going to give them what they want. I shaved my legs. I shaved my... Just because before that, we were doing drag. We were doing um, we were doing gender F-word drag, right, right. which was like, yeah,
0: ah, you yeah. know.
1: Uh, and I knew that I had power, my Superman. I, you know what? I'm going to give them full-on Superman. Right. I shaved my legs, and I did my... What I call my soul train dancer drag, right. street walker right. drag, which is sexier and like, right. you know, right. it's more glamorous. I came back. That was January. By September of 89, I was crowned the Queen I of Manhattan. I remember
0: that period. I remember you. I remember that period. I remember how bold and brave you were. I mean, it was so much more than drag. It was so much more. And I I wonder if you were, I'm sure subliminally, the the guides took you there to to do your job of what you're supposed to do. Absolutely. Because to take that step was one thing, but then there, oh, my God, the message and the, the story, all of it was just so big and bold. And, you know... The time was right. It was really about timing, mm-hmm. which is why you had, you had to go through all of that stuff. But it still was provocative time, mm-hmm. which is going back to my other question, because I wanted to get to that period when you really just, I mean, you, you were loud and clear, and everybody had to pay attention to a message that they really hadn't heard before mm-hmm. in a public way. Mm-hmm. And you made it so easy for people to understand. Mm-hmm. It was really crazy. Yeah. And it, it's such a delicate balance because if you do it wrong, it just hurts everything. Yeah. But if you, you always keep everything you do open and friendly and inviting, you invite everybody. Yeah. Everybody can come and dance with you. Everybody can come and experience your story or the story you want to tell. And I remember that period. If I think of you, I think of, whoa, this is powerful mm. stuff. Mm. And it's very funny that it happened all around your Saturn return. My Saturn return was I, I'd been married for 10 years was married at 19, and I, my husband sort of ran everything, and he was living a life that was very difficult for me, and my self-esteem certainly was under siege in this relationship, and I had to leave our business together, and I had to leave everything, and I had $98, Mm. and nobody knew me. Nobody knew that I was sewing in the back and doing all this stuff, and I I didn't know what I was going to do, and, and I was so shy, I could hardly speak, mm. I was so shy, and I just, and I had a bed, that's all I had. Mm. I didn't have curtains, I didn't have furniture, had nothing, but my $98 in a bed, and my brother called me from Las Vegas, he was not living a good life, lost all his money playing whatever games you play in Las Mm -hmm. Vegas, and wanted bus money to come home. And I thought, what can get, I mean, could life get any better than this? I mean, okay, the lesson is here. And I remember just keeping the lights off so people wouldn't watch me get undressed and just crying and thinking, I don't know what I'm going to do, but I have my soul. I have my soul, and that is the only thing that can be important right now. And those experiences for the two of us, clearly we've had other sadden returns, but we were more mature to deal with them a little bit more maturely. But had you not sort of gone down to whatever and, and have this angel friend say, enough of your shit now, get over here and do what you're supposed to do. And for me, to just have it be so horrible that I couldn't stay another day, I couldn't have any more humiliation or embarrassment. I mean, and those are the two words that really drive you, right? I mean, if you think about the humiliation, human beings suffer. And humiliation and lack of respect, I think, are the most horrible things you can do to a human being, and that's why a lot of people don't think they deserve more because they've been humiliated and had disrespect for so long. But it it has to be the thing that drives you to save yourself or or to listen when somebody wants to help and save you. When you
1: are sick and tired of being sick and tired, and you say, you know what, like the lotus out of the mud, I'm going to emerge... But in the case of um, with uh, what happened to me is I I was clear enough to hear the universe's stage direction. And that is what you find in meditation, mm-hmm. it's what you find in the silence. And when you can when you've been humiliated enough to where your even your ego can't even muster up right. so a fight. Right. Those that yeah. is the sweet spot yeah. when the universe, when your angels can intervene, yeah. when you are able at that point to say, Help me. Yeah. Then your angels yeah. can swoop yeah. in and a divinity yeah. can happen.
0: Yeah. A- and asking for help, asking for help in the spirit, and but also asking people for help. Yeah. I mean, this person helped you. Yes. I I learned for the first time to actually ask for help. I didn't think anybody would help me. I didn't think anybody thought I was worthy of even talking to. That's how my self-esteem had been sort of squashed, and to think, oh, my God, somebody wants to help me, that's just unbelievable, so asking for help on all levels is really incredible. You talk about meditation a couple of times, I don't know if you saw the signs here, but last New Year's... Before New Year's, we always do a thing where everybody on Thanksgiving, we have a big feast, which we're going to have this week, and everybody talks about what they give thanks for. And then before New Year's, we talk about our New Year's resolution. So the majority of the staff talked about wanting to meditate, continuing to meditate, or somehow changing that sort of experience that they have now with meditation. So we have somebody come in every day at 12.30, and we do meditation. And it's really, not everybody accepts it, so I just say I'll pay you for a half hour to do nothing. If you want to snore on a mat, it's fine. I don't care. Mm -hmm. If you want to just sit and do nothing, it's fine. But do something to disconnect Mm -hmm. for a half hour. That's Mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, I know in Muslim countries, they have a call to prayer. I wish we had a call to meditation. I do too. I mean, to me, it would just be so good for us to stop, Mm -hmm. force, stop, Mm -hmm. do nothing, and then come back. It changes Perspective for everything it
1: absolutely does and again. I mean, I don't know how you can tell people this Dorothy says "Well, Why didn't you tell me all I had to do is click my heel secret? because you wouldn't have believed me you had right. to learn it right. for yourself right. You know, I love the, the sort of mandatory meditation in the Muslim <laughs> countries, but um, you know uh, people have to find that thing for themselves and Going back to, uh, you know, me as a kid, understanding the emperor's not wearing any clothes, I knew that there is a consciousness beyond what my brain can, mm-hmm. can decipher and that I need to align myself with it and that I am heir to that consciousness mm-hmm. if I allow myself to do that. And throughout the career, you know, uh, you know as crowned Queen of Manhattan, and then after that, I thought, okay, I need to go mainstream. And I thought, well okay, um, well, I guess that leaves drag out. I have to follow my initial inspiration, which was, you know, to be the next David Bowie. And Uh. I would go and do dates, you know, clubs, performances in my sort of androgyny thing. And people would say, that's great, Rue, but when are you going to do, you know, your drag thing again? And it hit me then. Mm. I thought, who says I couldn't be Mm -hmm. hit the top in drag? Who says that? I realized... I'm the one who said that. Mm-hmm. That initiated from here. It wasn't right. out there. So when I let that go, that thought, it was like ancient doors went ur- mm. open for me in my career. Right. And I realized it was here. Right. I held the key. All I had to do was kick my heels three times. Right. So that was a major turning point for me. And it was major because I needed to realize. How much of my destiny, my life, was a construct of the thoughts that I was thinking? Mm-hmm. And that by letting go of old thoughts and making a space, and this is what meditation does for me, it clears a space mm-hmm. in my consciousness for the divine, for new, updated mm-hmm. ideas to come and live inside yeah, of yeah. me. And that practice and, and so many, um, so much evidence that helped me to continue this way of of doing an inventory, of saying, oh that doesn't work. Oh, mm-hmm. that doesn't help. Bring more of that in. Let's bring some more. That process is why I'm sitting here today. Yeah.
0: And all the different areas of, of creativity that you go into are so fantastic. And you do it in different in a different frame, in a different sort of visual Impression that you feel fits for that sure. story. It's all and drag to it's, me. Yeah, and, and it really is. You know, I so much of this most women don't really get. Right. They that it's the story you tell, and the more authentic the story, the more powerful your beauty is. Right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So. And, and I do everything, and I promise you this is part of my purpose, to help women tell their authentic story and use clothes or whatever it is to, uh, it could be what they're doing, to help identify this sort of drag that mm-hmm. says, here I am, or putting clothes on that are fun and you'll have fun, how, how important all of that is viscerally mm-hmm. to presenting who you are and your self-esteem and the power you have as a human being. Women, because we're judged by the way we look so much and, and objectification, which is a topic I want to talk about too, women being objectified for most of their lives up until recently, I, I could tell a story a month of really horrible experiences that we just keep quiet. I got to get the job done here. Mm -hmm. If he wants to hit me on my butt, fuck it. Mm -hmm. You know, I got to, you know, I'm just going to, like, move it aside. So there's all of that that we have to shed away and then say, where's my authentic self? It's time for my authentic self to come out. Now you have done that, you're, you've done that, and it's almost by looking at every picture of you almost for every year and all your different drag, mm-hmm. but in each of it, there's an authentic self that you're telling the story for. Mm-hmm. So for women, what advice would you give women about how they present themselves and the authentic self.
1: Well, the first step is identifying what is standing guard. What is keeping you in that same old cycle? And you have to ask, did I buy into plan A or plan B? Do I have the support in my life to set out on my, make my own plan, my own meal plan, my own life plan? So first is identifying what's standing guard to keep you from that. And I realized... um, you, I, I started using a, a, a computer. I was late to the game. I, I started using a computer, I think, in 2000. And I had a computer tutor who would come over once a week and, and teach me how to do this thing. There would always be some bug in it. And he'd come back because he <laughs> first he said, Ruth, what I want you to do, when I, want, when I come back next week, I want to see that you have effed this machine up. So when I come back, I will have, have fixed fix it. it. <laughs> yeah. So there would be something, I'd want to put this thing in the trash that was making it not Mm -hmm. work, but that wouldn't fix it, putting it in the trash. He'd come back and say, oh, that wasn't the problem, this thing here. It was actually, the problem was over here. And this was just, this thing was a result of this problem. So I love that analogy because a lot of times on the surface we think, oh, um, my, my, my skin is dry, my skin is dry. He's like, well... That's just the surface of what's happening. There's something deeper happening. And what I believe women in our culture have to address is what of the fairy tale, the princess fairy tale, are you still believing? You know, because part of that princess fairy tale has to do with some white knight coming along to rescue you. Well, what all the ascended masters will teach us is that that white knight you're looking for? is you. Yeah. It's you. Yeah. And if you give that power to some outside force, it can never nah. be that for yeah. you. Yeah. You know. So identifying where that, that clink in the machine, the mechanism, where it exists, and being willing to take it out and really put it in the trash. Because, mm. you know, like uh, the Moses story, people revert back to what they're familiar with, you know. And, you know, yes, I found a thing for me, but it's not like I found it and I was done. It's a, a daily, it's yeah. every day, yeah. it's like my tail grows back every day. Yeah. Every, meditation every day shaves, yeah. it, shaves it away. Yeah. So it's not easy. But plan A or plan B, that's not easy either. Because mm. It's like a garment that wasn't made for you. You, know? yeah. you, have to, you have to make your own garments.
0: So before all of this um, hashtag in the women's camp I had a campaign going to stop objectification, just to bring awareness. And I believe when people are aware of something, then they can do something about it. And I don't really believe people are malicious, but they learn bad habits Mm -hmm. and they don't understand how it feels themselves. Mm -hmm. And so by telling stories, it can really impact a man who has a daughter and he might have been objectifying somebody in the mm-hmm. workplace and their his daughter could experience so very simple tell stories mm-hmm. but i know that there are many gay men who have had horrific objectification experiences not any less or more than women but mm-hmm. in the same kind of world mm-hmm. and in your world, you must have also had and seen this sort of acceptance that it's okay to speak to people in a certain way. Mm-hmm. And, and it takes us a, an individual kind of strength to deal with it. Like I said, sometimes I would say, I'm not even going to deal with it. And other times, my body language was very clear mm-hmm. about where are you going with this? Mm-hmm. And being able to sort of, especially if the power that is, is this objectifier, how to say, I'm going to walk away from this because mm-hmm. it's not good for me. But in your world, I can imagine there's another layer that you have experienced yourself or witnessed that has been very painful. Is, does it still exist? Do you think?
1: Absolutely. And you hit on something a minute ago. It's, there's something called Hanlon's razor. And it's a theory which is, uh, and I'm going to paraphrase, I don't know specifics. It says, um, don't attribute malice to that which can otherwise be summed up as ignorance. Mm-hmm. You know? And throughout my life, with, from the kids who would look at me after I come from the beach, right. to every step of the way people would feel threatened by what yeah. I was doing, by me making my own plan. So I had to make, to make the decision to, am I gonna allow my ego to co-op the situation or am I gonna just let it flow past me and say, that has nothing to do with me, that's all you, thank you, but mm-hmm. I'm gonna keep moving. Usually I say thank you, I'm gonna keep moving and not let what people say to me, you know, what other people think mm-hmm. of me is none of my business. Except in a situation, and a lot of people are in the situation where you're paying taxes and the government is doing it to you, where it's like, oh, no, 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 not with all, I pay all, half the right. money I make goes to taxes. Right. Or in a situation where someone, um, you work for someone and, and they're discriminating, you know, they're, they're uh, yeah. usually, yeah. so my point with all of this is that people will put their stuff on you. And, and this, is, this is the bigger point here. There are many different Characters that live inside of your consciousness and you know Conflicting voices can live in the exact same spot There's a part of me that may have a daughter who I love is my precious jewel But I also say to the lady walking down say hey toots, you know mm-hmm. Both of those characters live inside of us and we have to be able to decipher Who's saying what? As I did with the kids in my neighborhood, I, said, I know that wasn 't personal. I know that they're fearful it 's not personal mm-hmm. throughout my life i 've had to, to figure out what belongs to me and what belongs to them. Usually, it belongs to them, and I cannot be offended. The only things that offend me in this life are deliberate cruelty and extreme poverty. Mm. Everything else is uh, uh, you know life is a, a Damn laugh riot mm-hmm. you know I learned early to also don't take life too seriously, seriously. Yeah. don't take it too seriously or else you'll get caught up in it. Now now it is things some things are very serious for some people, and mm-hmm. some people are put in, in harm's way because of other people's maliciousness. We uh, have been very, very lucky. we've been very mm-hmm. fortunate in our lives as Americans every time I go overseas, I think, oh my goodness
0: Mm mm-hmm yeah clean drinking
1: water clean air there aren't any Mm. there aren't any bombs falling on us right now but the the big the bigger point here is again being conscious this is Hanlon's razor h-a-n-l-o-n razor i don't know why it's called that is in that moment to be able to say does that comment belong to me what other people think of me is none of my business does that comment belong to me am i going to take that in I'm going to let that pass by me. First of all, do not put your hands on me. <laughs> right.
0: Don't put your yeah. hands on me. That's a whole nother thing. Yeah, right. you know?
1: But then what people say, you know, does it inhibit my movement as an American who pays taxes? Does it inhibit my movement in this company where I've earned my spot and you're going to do some because of, you know, mm. those are other things. But what people say, their ignorance, you know, do I acknowledge That humans have all these different voices in them and you know I used to tell this story years ago about you know when you have a child and say this little Susie happens to pass mommy and daddy's bedroom one night when mommy is dressed in all leather with a a strap on and daddy and she's beating that hell you know that child is sick why is daddy screaming what what is happening What little Susie doesn't understand is that there are other aspects of human experience that she doesn't understand Mm. yet, and that they're play-acting. They're play-acting for pleasure, for excitement, for interest. So a lot of times, little Susie has to be, her consciousness has to be upgraded to understand that I know it looks like hurt, but it's different, Mm. and not to belittle what people experience in the workplace, so people are, are horrific. Mm. To women especially, I grew up in a household with all women. I, I know firsthand how hurtful and harming and how it puts a, a foot, this unseen invisible foot, mm. so you can't move forward. And also as a person of color, a of, of person of whatever I am, um, people saying all kinds of things, even my people, even people from the East Village. I remember when I quit doing clubs, a good friend of mine. I started doing aerobics and getting my body together. I stopped drinking, doing drugs, all this stuff. And my friend, arms crossed, just like in San Diego, said, "You must think you're Jane Fonda or somebody." How funny Jane Fonda keeps coming. Yeah,
0: I, I was gonna say. Yeah,
1: um, she's a hero. But she gave me my star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Get out.
0: She's
1: the one. She like, she passed the baton Stop. to me. Stop. And in '68, I remember it was March of '68 or '67. Sixty-eight. Jane Fonda showed up on the cover of Life magazine at my house, and I remember taking the magazine in the garage and trying to emulate the pose on I the cover. I love it. I love but it. I, I remember it
0: so Isn't clearly. that fascinating? And fifty
1: years to the in March of 2018, she gave me my star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame.
0: That is crazy. That That is really something. Talk about planting
1: seeds. That's the thing about the spirit world is there's no time or space to it. So you don't know when that tree is going to grow up and bear fruit. But you put it out there. That's why, listen, when people say negative things to you, uh, there's a country song that says, I think it's by, um, I don't remember the name, but he says, she's more to be pitied than scorned. So when those people who say negative things to you, What you realize is that is just a fraction of the negativity that they have going on in their own Mm. heads. So if you say nasty things to people, those nasty voices are actually saying it to them. So if you are a liar, you naturally assume everyone is lying to you. If you are a nasty, mean person, you naturally assume everyone's being mad. So when I think about that idiot who lives across the street uh, from here, I think, all the nasty things that he says outward, they're being said inward by him, mm-hmm. to him. So he's more to be pitied mm-hmm. than
0: scorned. He's, you know,
1: so anyway, I get worked up here. I'm sorry. No, but
0: uh, I mean, one, re- of the, the, one of the things that I remember about you and, and either interviews that I'd seen through the years of you on TV and, I mean, you've done the circuit a hundred times of all of those shows. And each time, no matter what the question, no matter how objectifying maybe, or condescending, or whatever those you know, words are that can be experienced, you always answered with love in some way mm-hmm. that sort of diffused wherever they were going. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and they would just, like, fall. And I really, I've always been impressed that your response to anything like that was a hug, mm-hmm. no matter how, you know, ridiculous or stupid or lack of humor sure. that might have been. Yeah. And, and that takes, it takes ego, it takes a sense of self, mm-hmm. but it's such a great example or how to deal with people now, especially with the mean spirit mm. in social on media, all social yeah. media, and sort of this ability for people to be so cruel now, yeah. and that the way you diffuse it maybe is with a hug and with love and
1: love, all of those things, and perspective, because when you are able to see the landscape, you're able to go, oh see what that that is. It wasn't personal. Mm. And if I responded as if it were personal, I would only get more More. of the same. So I have to hit the Google Earth button and go, oh, uh, that that had nothing to do with me. That had everything to do with them.
0: A a friend of mine uh, who's a mentor to me gave me some really great advice. and, And she said, when you're in very difficult situations... Step away and look at it as if you're watching a movie. Yes. Take your emotion out of it so you don't get sick, so you don't sort of get taken down by it, and, mm-hmm. and observe it while it's happening. And it's, it's the same yeah. way your Google Map thing is like step away and the perspective is easier to understand. Yeah. Well, I'm thanking you and... Hating to end this because <laughs> I just love speaking with you. I knew that I would really enjoy sharing this with people who are listening to my podcast because you're such an incredible person and and I know you're conjuring up all kinds of things ahead. So, thank you so much for everything you've done for our culture, for everyone and The more you stay involved in bringing awareness to everybody, the better we'll be. So I hope you keep at it because we need you. Thank you so much. Thank
1: you so much, Norma. Thank you. you.